0: Let me start us off, one serious piece, which you all received in an email, so I'm taking like a hard uh, emergency break stop from the revelry and the humor to something very serious, and that's our brother Lance, uh, last weekend, uh, experienced a significant loss in, in his family life. Kyle, his youngest son, passed away unexpectedly. And if you read the obituary, I, was, I, I am so proud of Lance for just the courage to be forthcoming you know uh kyle struggled uh with uh with drugs it's a very real struggle in our culture today there's uh, i don't have any more information than you all have by the way um so I, i have the information that i've read in that obituary and then even just the in lieu of flowers if you want to make a donation to different um agencies out there that help people in their recovery efforts but it's just a great reminder uh, to to pray for the Ward family. The memorial service will be in the sanctuary here at 1030. I know many of you are already planning to be here, and, uh, and I know that with COVID and everything else, a lot of people will be hesitant to come, but you guys are not at all hesitant. Some of you are just straight up COVID deniers. I won't ask for a hand. I won't ask for any hands to be shown in this room. But uh, you should be there, you know, in support of of Lance and the love he has for this group and the sport he has. So if you can be there Friday at ten thirty, that would mean a great deal to see uh, that sanctuary uh, um, uh, with with people who love that family. So I'm going to do this. I'm going to pray for the wards. I'm going to pray uh, for our time together, and then we'll get rolling. And In uh, Psalm 86. Heavenly Father, it is a privilege to come before you. There's no matter that is too great that you can't handle or too small that you're not interested in. And so we bring before you the Ward family, Lance and Jenny. Uh, We ask as just for many of us in this room, we're parents and our hearts are incredibly heavy at just the simple thought of what that experience is like and so we can relate to them on that level and for all of us whether we're parents or not we know that the grief is very deep and so we pray that your presence would be felt would be near in the ward household that they would experience you in really new ways in fresh ways in profound ways and that they would be able to continue to praise your name for your mercy and grace that you uh, share with them and so we pray that, uh, that the memories of Kyle would be pleasant and good. And that while they will always think of their son all their days on this earth, give them, give them a real peace that is found in you. Lord, that's true for all of us. We know this life is transitionary. We know this life, uh, even if we live a long one, it has an end date to it. We just don't know what our end date is. And so God, give us grace in the journey and uh, give us a love for one another, knowing that we're fellow pilgrims on this journey of life. And so, Lord, as we open up your word, as we open up your scriptures, we pray that you give us wisdom from it for this journey of life, that we would live better, we would be better men, because of heeding your instruction. And we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. All right, well, guys, uh, we're in Psalm 86. And just a, a starting out question is to put yourself in the frame of reference of this psalm, just think about a time when you were in great uh, peril and, uh, and the odds were stacked against you where uh, there was incredible anxiety. And I don't mean like the lighthearted stuff like you hit your ball into the sand trap or lost it in the woods. I'm talking the real life stuff that um, the relationship was tense, but now it's come to a whole new level that... Uh, that the uh, accounts looked okay, and, uh, and then one more ripple in the economy put a chill up your spine about how you were going to pay for the future. Uh, that uh, the doctor said that mysterious thing might be nothing, and now after meeting with the doctor, it's not nothing, it's serious stuff. And I think for all of us, we could, if we had the time, could go around and go, what's your story? What's your story? What's your story? Because we've all been there at some point in life, where we've thought, if we don't get help here, we're in trouble. That I don't have the skill, I don't have the resources, I don't have the the talent to get through this thing. That I need someone else. And if you can put yourself in that mindset, you will get this psalm. That's what this psalm is about. That's who this psalm is for. That's why I say, you know, as I get older, the psalms make more sense in my graying years. Because what would have seemed like impossible odds in my youth, now I'm like, oh man, that was minor leagues compared to the challenges I face. And so with that context, I want to read Psalm 86, and then we're going to go back and kind of pick it apart and discuss it a little bit, but I want to just read it in its entirety. It's only uh, 17 verses, so it's pretty short But it is a prayer. It's a prayer of David. The psalmist tells us that right up front. There's a little line in italics in my Bible and probably yours too. David is attributed to this psalm. And it starts here. Hear me, Lord, and answer me, for I am poor and needy. Guard my life, for I am faithful to you. Save your servant who trusts in you. You are my God. Have mercy on me, Lord, for I call to you all day long. Bring joy to your servant, Lord, for I put my trust in you. You, Lord, are forgiving and good, abounding in love to all who call to you. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Listen to my cry for mercy. When I'm in distress, I call to you because you answer me. Among the gods, there is none like you, Lord. No deeds can compare with yours. All the nations you have made will come and worship before you, Lord. They will bring glory to your name. For you are great and do marvelous deeds. You alone are God. Teach me your ways, Lord, that I may rely on your faithfulness. Give me an undivided heart, that I might fear your name. I will praise you, Lord, my God, with all my heart. I will glorify your name forever. For great is your love towards me. You have delivered me from the depths, from the realm of the dead. Arrogant foes are attacking me, O God. Ruthless people are trying to kill me. They have no regard for you. But you, Lord are a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Turn to me and have mercy on me. Show your strength in behalf of your servant. Save me because I I serve you just as my mother did. Give me a sign of your goodness that my enemies may see it and be put to shame. For you, Lord, have helped me and comforted me. And, and David's familiar territory. If you haven't tracked with uh, Terry's Wednesday night series, let me encourage you to go back, start at the beginning. I have studied David. He's always been one of my you know, most favorite kind of historical figures in the Old Testament. Fascinating guys, guy, flaws and all. And Terry has, has uh, been doing some magnificent teaching. I've even picked up some things that I didn't know before, and I've studied this for decades and uh, sometimes those familiar stories, you're like, there's not much new, and uh, sitting there uh, on Wednesday nights and and hearing Terry talk through, so if I can encourage you to do only one thing from this is uh, heed my advice and and, uh, go back and listen to all of those talks from Wednesday night, but just by way of sort of historical remembrance, David is a colorful guy. He is not there for us to like have as a hero to worship because as you read his story, if you hero worship that guy, he is a punk like you and me. He is an absolute jerk like you and me. He has his good days and his bad days like you and me. That's one of the reasons I think he's such a great guy to look at. Because he does not allow us for any length of his story for us to be like, I want to be that guy, except for that part, and that part. I'd like to be this part, but I don't want to be that guy. And he does this stuff. You know, he starts out shepherd boy, and he ends up warrior. He ends up the courageous kid who takes out Goliath and ends up the son-in-law of the king, but the marriage isn't good, or at least it ends bad. Maybe the marriage was good until he fled the kingdom and ends up in the wilderness, and then his first wife gets given to another guy. So first marriage goes up in smoke. Don't worry, they get back together, but they hate each other. So that's a nice story. It's just true. I'm just reporting the facts. And And then he wanders the wilderness with a bunch of rascal, rascal rebel type guys who uh, their, their quality and characteristics is loyalty to David and their ability to beat the odds. And they are warrior kind of guys. And David has an inner circle of the warrior guys who he even betrays because he finds that guy's wife lovely and has that guy killed so he can take that guy's wife. I always wonder if David was at Uriah and Bathsheba's wedding. Maybe not. But I don't know at what point he was like, she is a fine looking woman. And, uh, and most guys, if we were all honest in the room, would, would be like, you know, I might have made a choice, but she's fine looking too, and she's fine looking too. And some men build mental harems in their mind. David just built one. He was like, hey, I like her. I'll take her. I'll take her. So he collects wives, which isn't a biblical argument for polygamy because it ends horrible. It's a mess. Like, he is dysfunctional family with a capital D. And, of course, as you, if you know his story... Kids end up in, like, civil war with each other, literally. Some of you have blended families. You're like, the kids don't get along. I would imagine none of your kids have raped another one of the kids, but that happened in David's household. But that worked out because then the full brother of Tamar ends up killing his half-brother in revenge and then tries to usurp the throne and take over. It's an ugly story. I mean, the soap operas can't write this stuff. This is David's life. And then David ends up fleeing his own kingdom, good friends, reestablish his kingdom until yet another son decides, I'm going to be the next king. And then David in his like older years, I like that it was like he was advanced in years. He was 70. I'm like, uh, that's not that advanced in my book. How about you? And, uh, but he's advanced enough in years that they put a teenage girl in bed with him and she's just like a warming blanket because there's nothing that happens there. So he's at that season of life and, uh, and then he ends up appointing Solomon to be the king and the story's over. Okay. Here's why I bring all that up. We have no idea when Psalm 86 is taking place. It could be any number of situations. It could be when he's out in the wilderness. It could be when he's running from Absalom. It could have been that he was sitting down as an older man remembering past circumstances. Don't know. But he's written a bit of poetry prayer for us as a model, as an example of how to pray when you find yourself in a real tight spot. And so let's go back and, and look at some of the mechanics of this. If we were to say, well, I could pray this, but if I want to pray it like from my own heart using my own words, how would I do that? Well, let's just start with verse 1. Hear me, Lord, and answer me, for I am poor and needy. Do you see how David describes himself? How doesn't he describe himself? Rich and famous? famous. He doesn't mention rich and famous. What else doesn't he say about himself? Tough. Tough. Yeah, I mean, this is a tough guy. I mean, we start out with a shepherd boy, but even as a shepherd boy, if you know the story, he's like, I killed a bear and a lion. I have a 15-year-old kid. He's killed nothing in his life, you know? He's, uh, he's won some races on video games, and every Sunday, we come over here and drive my Honda around the parking lot, and I have to tell him, slow it down. And deep down inside, I'm so proud that the kid's got a lead foot. It makes me so happy. I'm like, yes, he's got testosterone. This is good, you know. If I was like, son, it's don't go five, I would be like, crud. I got to get him some medication. But uh, all you guys with sons are like, amen. Uh, but, but this is, yeah, he doesn't say that about himself. What is, what is how does he say it? Hear me, Lord. Answer me. I'm poor and I'm needy. And, you know, sometimes when we approach God, we're like, I know I'm not your favorite, but i got to be kind of near the top. You know, sometimes when we come to the Lord, whether we even use the words to express it, our, our demeanor in prayer before the Lord sort of conveys ambivalence, maybe a bit of cockiness maybe maybe a little bit of pride walking in. God, I've served you all these years. I, I've heard people say that. I've said it. I have. I've kind of gone, God, I'm not like this guy and this guy and this guy and this guy. I mean, really? You're doing you, you seem to be doing favors for these other folks. What about a guy who's who's been faithful to his wife and tries to be a good dad? What about that guy? And David doesn't start there. Now, part of it is David can't start there. You know, he can't be like, I'm a very faithful man. I mean, except for that time and that time and that time. He doesn't have that story to tell. He literally has an honest assessment of himself, which is I'm poor and needy, but aren't we all? I mean, really, I have, I have um, in, uh, since moving to Oklahoma City, I, I had never met uh, personally uh, a billionaire before. And I've met a few since moving here. And it's, I don't go like, hey, wow, must be nice. I don't do that. I, I, but I know it because there are people, and you probably know some of these people. And I think to myself, compared to them, I, I'm worth, you know, dust. But compared to someone else, I'm, I'm incredibly wealthy. The poorest of U.S. citizens is still amongst the top 3% of the world when you consider 7 billion people on the planet Earth. Why am I bringing this up? No matter how much you have, you're poor and needy before the Lord God Almighty. We are used to stacking ourselves up in assessment next to other human beings, right? But what's that? It's meaningless. It's absolutely meaningless. I mean, you go before the Lord Almighty in prayer. The, The maker, the creed says, the maker of heaven and earth, creator of all things visible and invisible. And I'm like i'm still pretty good no no i'm poor and needy and so when when encountering good times are bad it's a really good thing to be self-aware and david's self-aware but that's not it he says um he says guard my life for i am faithful to you save your servant who trusts in you now how how does david describe himself there what are the two descriptors Servant and faithful, servant and faithful. He, does, um, he doesn't mention royalty. He doesn't. He 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 doesn't talk about his occupation. He doesn't talk about being a warrior chieftain. If he was, if he's writing this before he's assumed the throne and he's out in the wilderness, he still had he still had a merry band of followers that made Robin Hood look like a chump. I mean, he's he's this guy's the real deal. You wander into his stronghold. One of my favorite stories is when his men are helping kind of protect some sheep amongst some border ter- territory. And in uh, the, and the guy who owns the sheep, uh, he's got a, a pretty attractive wife, Abigail and, uh, and uh, David's men are there to protect. And then David asks for a little bit of favor from the fella. And the fella's like, who are you? Take a hike. And David's like, I'll go kill him. And so his merry band of followers are like, I just picture him whistling on their way to Nabal's house. I think is that is that Nabal is that it uh, on his way to the way to the house. Like we're gonna kill a guy, you know, take his stuff. You know, this is. I mean, David doesn't mention, hey, I got a I got a group of guys that follow. He just says, I'm a servant, I'm faithful. And what a great way to think of a a really significant aspect of our calling. We. We can't dictate all the terms of our life, right? But what we can be is we can be a servant of Christ. We can be a servant of God Almighty, and we can be faithful. So, you know, I probably, I, I, I work out, and I, I, I lift weights, and yet somehow I can't have Ryan Brown's arms. I don't know if you know Ryan Brown, he works at the church. He's one of the uh, pastors, serves on the executive team. And every time I look over at his arms, and he just reaches for his cup of coffee, his bicep, like, flexes. I don't know how he does that. I, I'm like, do you chew dumbbells? What do you do? I mean, I don't know how you get that arm. It doesn't matter what I do. I can't, I can't, I can't have that arm. That's okay. Who cares? I mean, really, who cares? But I can be faithful. I can be a servant. I can't rewind the hands of time and be a younger person. I can dye my hair. I can wear hipper clothes. I can't change my birth year. That is not up for grabs. I might associate as a 20-something, but that doesn't. uh, Some of you got that joke. Uh, It was a subtle one, but uh, you'll be thinking about that at lunch. Uh, I might associate as a 20-something. It don't make me a 20-something. You know, I can, I can, in fact, I can do some of the things they do. I just pay for it later. Ice on my knees. I, I downloaded an app that was like, this will get you all toned up. And so I did the app for two weeks. And I realized if I don't want knee surgery, I'm not using that app anymore. It was having me do things. And I'm like, okay, I feel like the, it went from stiff, like feeling stiff and worn out to like, I think I might've permanently hurt myself. Right. And some of you know exactly because some of you are like, I had that surgery. Exactly. Yeah. But I can be faithful, and I can be a servant. So how do, how do you do that? We're going to talk about how you do that in a moment, but it's here in the prayer. And then, and then the, the next aspect is verse 3, which I, 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 this, I love this part. He just says, have mercy on me, Lord, for I call to you all day long. And it's a great reminder that the only reason we approach the throne of God at all, the only reason we have a relationship with, with him at all it flows from his mercy it really flows from his mercy i I mean yeah it flows from his love but his love manifests itself in mercy i mean think about it i don't know about you but if i if i gave a great gift to my children christmas time is coming i have two girls in college and uh, that's why if you see me on the corner from time to time with a little cardboard sign that I need a blessing, it's really to, it's the college tuition. And uh, <laughs> so I've thought about it, actually. I've, like, I've actually thought about it as a social experiment saying, uh, get out. Get and I don't mean to mock those who do this because they need it to survive. I really am not. But I've also, I have thought about it as a social experiment. If I stood on the corner with a cardboard sign that said, need private school tuition for my daughters, if people would give me money. And I have a feeling if I did that on Portland as people are coming in on Sunday morning, I might get your offering money. But anyhow, that's its own. Uh, Blake told me I can't do that. He's so narrow sometimes. And Marty said it would be my last day. But okay. So I won't do it. No, we, we, we come to God because of his mercy. And so think about, here's where I was going with that silly story, is my kids are coming home for Christmas. Let's say I, 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 I give them an incredible gift at Christmas, and, and I have thought about this. I have sacrificed for this. I have denied myself to give them something. And some of you know where this is going, and some of you have this experience. And then you, you give the gift, and the kid opens up the gift, and they're like, whatever. Is that all? Yeah. Do you inside be like, I want to give them more? Because if you have that feeling, you're probably going to screw your kid up. But, but most of us, if the kid's like, is that it? Be like, hey, have you thought about living on the porch? Here's some cardboard. Work the corner there, and you might need a blessing because I am done with you. That doesn't invoke in me a greater love for my kid. But that's kind of the Garden of Eden story. God gives the incredible opportunity, the incredible gift. And then what do they do? Is that it? Oh, I kind of want more. And that's what happens. World gets messed up. And God in his mercy does what none of us in this room would do. Because tell me I'm wrong about this. If any of us in this room were in God, the creator's position at that moment, do you think, well, probably just send my son? Or do you think, okay, let's start over with a clean pallet. Cause I don't know about I when I you know like when something like that happens I'm I'm ready to just burn it down rebuild and God in His mercy God in His mercy does something and that's so again um wh- where is this going Okay, we have a prayer. The prayer starts out with I don't bring anything before you, God. I, I in all humility, and all honesty, I, I'm self aware. I don't come to you within a bargaining ship, and um, I'm just trying to live out my life, and faithfulness is a servant to you. I don't do it perfectly, but I'm trying, and you are a God of mercy. What a beautiful way to begin a prayer, isn't it? It reminds us who we are, and it states who God is, which leads kind of one of the questions, what's prayer for? You ever wondered about that one? Why do we do it? Why do you do it? See, we're supposed to have a bunch of wrong answers before we get to that. You just messed it up. That's right on. You know, that's the, you know, don't you love it when, when teachers ask the question and they're like, yeah, wrong, wrong, wrong. That's it. That's it right there. It's not for God. It's not like God's like, oh, I hadn't thought of that. Whoa, thank you for bringing up that option now that you express it that way. No, it's, it actually, prayer's there for us. It's, it, I mean, when we do it well, It's it's a humbling aspect that reminds us who we are. It gives us an opportunity to remind ourselves who God is. That's why prayer, not just once a day, but throughout the day, is a good thing. I went to a school in Chicago called Moody Bible Institute. Guy who founded it, Dwight Lyman Moody. He was known for praying all the time. In fact, I've I've read. I'm fascinated with the guy. I mean, he started out as a shoe store clerk and ended up the greatest evangelist maybe America's ever produced. I mean, when you consider the percentage of Americans and, and British people he uh, he preached to, it it, percentage wise, it was greater than than I think even Billy Graham preached to, perhaps as far as percentage. And he did so without television. It was a really remarkable guy. But he would pray all the time. And people, and his biographers would note that sometimes it was unnerving because people would be talking to him and thinking he was talking to them and then he'd then be like, amen. You know, and like, but he wasn't amening them. He was like in... But why, do, why is that helpful? It's helpful to, on a on a moment-by-moment basis. Which is why, by the way, and some of you know exactly what this is about, when you're struggling with a health problem or an employment issue or an economic issue, that's why, like five minutes doesn't go by and you're like lord help me lord help me lord help me it's just a grounding it's for us and this is a great prayer because david just he's given us a pattern hey you numbskulls do it like this remember who you are and who god is you ain't nobody but he's really merciful so then so then um then he he um he makes a, a, a series of petitions that that um, is, is very interesting. And this is what I mentioned before about faithfulness. How do we do this? Look at verses 11 and 12. So just look down. If you have your Bible open, look at this. So David's going through all this stuff, and he, and he, and he, he praises God for who he is. There's no other God like you. None of the other gods measure up. And there were gods all over the countries. I mean, there were, there were gods in every little tribal group had multiple gods that was normal there were no atheists in that arena there i mean everybody believed in some sort of divinity literally when the lights went out they thought well there's something around here and so they were always trying to appease the gods so there would be enough rain but not too much rain and there'd be fertility and all the other stuff saint augustine much later was mocking the roman empire that had multiple gods and he and he counted something like 18 or 20 gods that a uh, groom was supposed to invoke in the bedroom with his with his new wife and and he was listing the god that does this and the goddess that does this and the god and it's in uh, it, it's in a book called city of god and uh, augustine says with so many gods in the room it's amazing the man can perform you know you know you just talk about a mood wrecker you know i mean there's all these gods around you i mean how on earth you'd overcome all that so augustine mocks us well this is natural in their culture and David says, none of those gods measure up. You're the only one. You're the only one. But then, this is, what I, this is the part about faithfulness and being a good servant. Teach me your way, Lord, that I may rely on your faithfulness. Give me, get this, give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. I'll praise you, Lord, with all my heart. I'll glorify your name forever. But look, isn't that really something? Teach me, teach me your ways. So for some of us, we'd go, I'd I'd like to be faithful to God. What does that even look like? How do do I even do that? I mean, I live in a very complicated world. How how do I, how do I show faithfulness? You ever thought about what it must be like for an elected official? Let's fantasize for a moment. There was a good one. And um, just put on our thinking caps. And uh, if, you were a, if you were attempting to be a faithful man or a faithful woman of God and be an elected civic leader, wouldn't that be complicated? How would you represent in the United States, in a pluralistic society, many different interests and still maintain fidelity to God? How would you have an undivided heart while you're telling people, I'm better than that person over there. Don't vote for them. They're bad. I don't know about you, in my household, we have been greatly amused about our congressional race because evidently it's quite tight, and evidently there's gazillions of dollars to be had in our congressional district, and one commercial follows the other, and they're like, don't follow her, she drinks demon blood, and then the other one's like, this one eats children, hates education so much. And, you know, it's just, it's absolutely, Sad Night Life couldn't write better sketches than what those commercials propose about the other person. And, and, and I, I don't know either one. I don't. How would a person... Be a God-fearing person, a follower of God, and not engage in the fine art of slander, which is part of our natural political process of winning an election. How do you do it? Complicated, right? Well, it starts with a prayer. That's where it starts. So I don't have an answer, by the way. But I have a prayer. And the prayer is, Lord, teach me. Teach me your ways. Teach me teach me your way, Lord, that I might rely on your faithfulness. Now that takes an awful amount of faith because it's, it is easier to just lean into worldly power than to say, I'm going to lean into God's wisdom. How do you sell a product if you're a salesperson without bearing false witness against another product that you know in your heart might even be better or just as good? How do you represent with fidelity of spirit without losing your job? How, how, do you, how do you compete against other competitors that you respect without putting somebody else down? How do you do it? Lord, teach me your way that I'd be a faithful person. Imagine if Christians live that way. I mean, we get a bad rep, and I wish it wasn't. I wish it was just because people slandered us. But the truth is, is I sometimes see what people do in the name of God or how they invoke God. And I'm like, oh, please don't bring God into this. Just, just bring your own person into it, but don't bring God into this. But imagine if, if those who called upon the name of Christ lived in faithfulness, a fidelity to God's way. That'd be remarkable, wouldn't it? That'd be revolutionary. I think that's why the first century church grew so rapidly. I do. I think that, while they weren't perfect by any stretch, just read Paul's letters. (laughs) They were really not perfect. But there was something going on there that people were like, I like that worldview. I like that way of living better than the Roman way. Even if it costs me greatly, I want to be in on that. I don't want to be in on this crazy culture in Ephesus or Corinth or Rome or Jerusalem anymore. Teach me your way that I may have an undivided heart. Now, this is, uh, this is huge stuff because most of us, when we come into prayer time with God, our, our thing is, God, deliver me from this and make this happen. And David does get there. By the end, he's like, cut their eyes out. That'd be awesome. You know, I, he says it in different ways. And there are some some psalms that read that way. And so let's not pretend. I always get a cute, I always think it's cute when people always make God out to be like, uh, you know, uh, Santa Claus, you know, where no one gets cold. I'm like, eh, that's not God, that's Santa Claus. Um you know, there's, there's some stuff in here that should make us all uh, kind of freak out a little bit or a lot. And, uh, and yet here David goes, give me an undivided heart. Have you ever prayed that prayer? I would encourage all of us, watching at home or all of us in this room, at some point today, pray this prayer, just that part. God, teach me your way that I would be a faithful person and give me an undivided heart. Wouldn't that, I know in my life that would ratchet things up quite a bit. I have an undivided heart. You know, I get worked up about everything that everybody else gets worked up about. I get worried about equity and retirement accounts and health and, you know, whether my kids are going to help the world or hurt the world. I get worked up just like everybody else gets worked up. I get my eyes on distractions. I get preoccupied with whether or not this dining room chair would be better than that dining room chair. You know, I mean, the the silliest, stupidest stuff of life can be a distraction to any of us. And it's okay to have those side hobby things, but to have an undivided heart, that's powerful, isn't it? So, I told you to do a couple things, uh, but this is add that to the list, you know. Do that. Say, God, teach me your way. Give me an undivided heart. And uh, just for the sake of time, I want to leave you with, with a, a thought that um, guy named, uh, J, um, a guy named um, Spurgeon, who was a, a British uh, preacher, writer uh, from 150 years ago, uh, he's, his writing's still out there. I encourage you, if you're bold enough and like old writing, it's good It's good reading. It's, uh, it's not everybody's cup of tea. There's a little British pun for you, but uh, it's, it's good stuff. But what Spurgeon said is, you know, we need to learn the fine art of presenting an argument before God. Now, this sort of flies in the face. Hear me out for a minute, because sometimes we hear that and go like, no, 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 no. You don't argue with God. Well, Moses did. And actually, David's doing it here, too. If you're an attorney and you're, you're stating your case before the judge, you don't get up and go, look, my client was innocent, and I'm really nice, and I went to a good law school. You know, I rest my case. No, I mean, it doesn't matter. At that point, the judge would be like, well, what about all this other evidence? You're in trouble, right? You don't do that. You present an argument. And so before the Lord, before the God Almighty, when praying before him, it's okay. The knees on the ground, present our case before the Lord. Lord, this is why I ask you to hear me. Lord, this is what this is what I ask of you. This is what I ask you do in my life. This is what I ask you do for me. It's okay. And he might he might answer the prayer. We we presume that this psalm is in here because God did exactly what David wanted him to do. Sometimes it doesn't work that way. Sometimes it's, uh, you know, the old cliche is sometimes God says yes and sometimes he says no and sometimes he says maybe or wait. Uh, They're a little cliche because that's true. That's sometimes how God rolls in those situations. But sometimes things don't change in our life because we don't spend that earnest time with God. Because going back to the previous comment there, Lee, is that time of prayer it's really more for us than it is for god 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 wants that for us and in the process god can change our hearts our dispositions or if the outcome isn't the outcome we've asked for he can prepare us for that and in his mercy and in his grace he can give us strength for the days amen any uh, comments or questions or smart remarks oh that was harsh did you hear that he said it was nice to have a good teacher for a change give me a break wait who's was that your dad that said that come on rick come on he doesn't think that I know I know how your dad feels I, cuz I know how I'd feel. I'd be like if if Jack was leading a Bible study, I'd be like my boy's leading a Bible study. Even if I didn't pay attention, I'd just be staring at my kid. You know? I I I don't pay anybody anything. I'm cheap, man. I'm Gene. Any other any other comments or What's that? Which corner? you know well the one with the most traffic you know that's it right there with the most generous looking faces all right well i'll stick around let me pray for us and then uh and then that'll be that lord thanks for this group of guys that have endured here till the uh the end of the lesson thankful for uh for their uh patience in this process and lord in all honesty, our our hope and prayer is that your word infiltrates our lives and makes us better men, that we're more faithful men, that like David, we we can say with integrity that we are servants of the Lord Almighty and that we are faithful men. None of us will pretend to be perfect. We know that we'll have our days, but in all our honesty, we will repent of those days where we fail because we want to be known from the breadth of our lives as men, devoted to you so we pray it asking for your strength that we would be men with undivided hearts we pray in jesus name and everybody said amen Amen. good to be with you guys